0: to get started visit plushcare.com/ weight loss that's plushcare.com/ weight loss hey I'm Venetia LaManna and welcome to a brand new podcast this is all the small things. Now, this new podcast is very much a product of lockdown. I am fascinated by how our daily habits shape us even more so after spending so much time working at home and living at home and doing everything at home. Now, whether we're a one task ticked off at a time type or we thrive with 35 tabs open, I want to learn more about the rituals that help provide structure when we need it most, or perhaps if creativity lies in the chaos of it all. I have been sitting on some of these interviews for quite a long time now and I am fit to burst with excitement. I'm going to be speaking to some of my heroes, writers, speakers, activists, thought leaders and a monk to learn about the small things that keep them in check and uncover more about what makes their minds tick. What's more, we're going to be hearing about the seemingly small moments that perhaps felt insignificant at the time, but their impact turns out to be life changing. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode where I'll be sharing one small thing that has really helped me and my own mental health over the past few weeks. On to our first guest. I am so delighted to be kickstarting this brand new series with the incredible Rina Sawayama. Rina is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter and one of the most exciting artists to break through from last year. Born in Japan and raised in London, Rena's music confronts the issues of identity and conflict with a wild blend of 90s and early 90s influences. Everything from Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera to Lady Gaga and Gwen Stefani to Evanescence and Limp Bizkit. It's all in there and more rena has been singing since she was little, but took her first official steps into the music world by joining a hip-hop group at school with Wolf Alice's Theo Ellis. She broke into the public eye in 2017 with her self-titled EP, and in 2018, she released the sex-positive Cherry, which served as a public declaration of her pansexuality. After finishing a tour supporting Charlie XeX, Rena signed with Dirty Hit, who are also home to the 1975, and in April 2020, released her her genre-defying debut album, Sawayama. Rolling Stone called it a thrilling musical adventure and Elton John proclaimed it the strongest album of the year by far. Rena Sawayama concluded Paper Magazine is our favourite genre. Despite this huge success, last year Rena found out she was not eligible for Mercury Prize or Brit Award nominations because she doesn't hold a British passport even though she's lived in the UK for 20 years. Years. We discuss this in the episode, as well as Rina's lockdown routine, mental health, the music industry, sustainability, and much more. Just a heads up, before we get started, there is some strong language in this episode. Right, on to my first ever guest on all the small things. Here is Rina Sawayama. This is good. Okay, cool. Great. Happy? Yes, I'm happy. Perfect. Um, also, can you just admire my... <laughs> My home sound booth. Oh my my god, I just
1: thought you had, like, an amazing custom bench. Wait, so you've, like, dismantled your sofa for, like, the sound? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm literally in the most echoey
0: room ever. It's, like, glass...
1: No, you sound great.
0: Okay, good. All right, if I sound fine then. I'm just happy to be talking to someone who's not Max, to be Oh my God, tell me about it. (laughs) Literally the same. Firstly, I'm so excited to chat to you, but let's start with the really small things. I'm wondering what the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is. I have my 2021 routine so
1: down right now. Like I've had it all the way through January. So my routine is quite stunning. It starts at 6 a.m., So I get up and I don't look at my phone. I get up and I go to the kitchen and I make a cup of tea, like straight away. And it's a decaf tea as well. So I don't even know what that's doing to me. It's just like some nice hot water, hot liquid in my system. And then I'm literally like an OAP, but like I put on BBC Breakfast. I'm so lame, but honestly, this has helped my mental health a lot. (laughs) Put BBC Breakfast on. And then I uh, drink the tea. I wake myself up for about an hour. So like, and then I like go off at a seven and then, um, and then, yeah, the rest of my routine follows. But that's like,
0: I wake up at six now. I go to bed at 10.30. Boom. Every night? Every night. I'm in bed by nine. So you are making the most of this time to have a hardcore routine in place. I love it. I'm so impressed.
1: I know. I'm impressed with myself because I'm so not good with routines, but this has been actually working and doing exercise every morning and yeah
0: so does the exercise come in post 7 a.m once you've had your time with BBC breakfast oh my gosh so I
1: have my BBC breakfast uh, finish at 7 7 a.m take the dog out for a wee and then uh feed her feed myself a light breakfast and then I will meditate for 15 minutes and then journal for 15 minutes and then like that takes me up to about 8, 8 a.m and then I exercise for 30 to 45 minutes and then Oh my gosh, my this is going. so
0: motivating. Okay, stop. So a few questions. Firstly, okay. I wanna know generally what you're having for breakfast. And then secondly, I wanna know what kind of workouts you're doing. This is so I'm already like, oh my gosh, I need to get my own routine in, in check.
1: I genuinely hate the sound of my own voice talking about this routine. Like I just I'm I'm that person I'm that like youtuber who talks about like their perfect routine and productivity and I'm just like nowhere near anyway but yeah so what I do uh, I, I eat Cheerios it's my favorite <laughs> with oat milk because I'm uh, a bit intolerant to lactose I've, I've realized um, and also allergic to soy anyway um, so I have Cheerios and then uh, I go on my exercise bike and it's not a Peloton because uh, they didn't have one in stock for like three, four months. So I was like, I'm just not waiting. So I got an exercise bike, which is actually really hard to get right now because of, you know, everything. Everyone wants an exercise bike. And then I just have the Peloton app on my iPad and I just have that. And like, I have the best time. And like, yeah, I've like nearly been on the verge of tears in, in my Pelotons because they're
0: like so motivating.
1: I'm like in a cult. <sighs> it's so weird. I'm like in my own cult. It's kind of crazy but it's really working for me
0: <laughs> I absolutely love that I mean similarly to you actually Peloton is one of the standout successes of this pandemic they've done really well I really enjoy really how well. you're hacking the system as well you're like not going for the full blown bike but I will take your app and your workout <laughs> exactly
1: and my exercise bike is less than half the price so I was like you know what I love a bargain and I love like next day delivery so that is what I'm gonna do so I got the bike and I've been on it for a month straight and I do it like at least four times a week
0: that's so good. I know but I'm don't so like
1: but I don't want anyone to feel discouraged like I just had zero routine for like a whole year or maybe more than a year and so I just and it was really affecting my mental health and lack of exercise as well I didn't grow up around exercise and I just you know I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm very unfit and I, I think it was when I was lifting a couple of Christmas recipe books and my arms were tired and I was like Rina, you need to go and work out those arms sis
0: like you are weak and but but I'm also assuming like cardio I just recently watched your live performance on Fallon shout out yeah it, Kim- it was wait was Kimmel or Fallon no it was Fallon it was Fallon okay yeah good. I get them confused I'm so sorry
1: I do too they're both called Jimmy they're all called Jimmy like James Corden Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel Jimmy Fallon I don't know what that is about these Jameses they all have the like night tv shows but I
0: totally understand Basically, if you're white, called called James or Jimmy, and moderately funny, you will have Go a talk become show a late in night talk show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just watched your amazing live performance, and that looks like an insane workout. So I'm assuming that the more kind of you commit to fitness in your kind of daily routine, the easier performing live will be. One hundred percent, and honestly,
1: I'm preparing for that after being an, like a potato for like six months and not moving. I was doing all my press and everything and promo from zoom. So I was just sitting here the whole day, not having, to, I was living in my old place as well. So there was no place to really exercise. Didn't do any exercise whatsoever. And then I was like, boom, you're going to be on Fallon. So you better get a fit. And I was like, so um but that's like my my life is just I kind of prepare just before I need to and I don't want to do that anymore because it gives me so much anxiety and like gives me like really bad sort of um imposter syndrome if I'm just not at least doing like the bare minimum every day so I this is my new thing were you always a deadline worker then at school and at uni 100% I would ask for an extension and then do it in that extension like my dissertation was done in the 10-day extension that I got
0: I can relate to this so hard. I'm that person. I'm a deadline worker. And the fact that you've managed to break out of that is honestly very inspiring to me right now. Oh my God. It's so
1: hard though. This has been like 10 years in the making at least because I've never not been a deadline person. Like even for my GCSEs and my SATs, like I swear I was just, I watched Sex and the City for like the, my whole time that I was try- meant to be studying for, for GCSEs because I like discovered Sex and the City and then like my mom was too busy working so she didn't really care what I was doing. And, I didn't know
0: you were a Sex and the City fan. I mean, um, that's great. So am I.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's so like of the time but when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But yeah, again, didn't study at all and then would cram in and then being such a hellhole of anxiety.
0: Before we get too uh, distracted by Sex and the City and the reboot and all of that, because we could probably talk about that for hours and how it hasn't aged well and what we can expect. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Let's wind back the clocks and talk about you when you were little and growing up, because something not so small happened to you at the age of five when you moved from Japan to London for your parents, for your dad's work specifically. Um, I'd love to hear about your memories of this time and if you kind of have any memories of your first impressions of London and what that whole experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was too young to really be shocked by it. I think, you know, when you're young, you can be quite malleable really, like in different countries and different languages. But I do remember not being able to speak the language. And I remember that feeling of being stuck in my throat you know, just like not don't know what to say. And I remember my mom saying the only phrase you need to know is hello. And you need to know how to say, where is the toilet? And that's the two things that you need to remember. So that's the first two things that I, I memorized. Um, but obviously as a kid, I, I learned so quickly. But it was quite tricky because my parents couldn't make up their mind about whether they wanted to go back to Japan or not. Um, so I changed schools about five times in primary school because it was like Japanese, like British primary school, and then like Japanese school and then like back to primary school and then like another, like a private school and then like a state school. And then this is just like changed all the time. So, um, yeah, it was that, I think that was more confusing to me because um, the Japanese school's main language will be Japanese. And, um, I lost out on a lot of sort of cultural, Things that were going on, I like. I kind of missed out on this whole Spice Spice Girls thing because I was in like, Japanese school at the time. So, um, yeah. But I think you know, being bilingual is really hard and it's like quite a headfuck. But you know, I'm so glad that my parents kept me in this country
0: and for the opportunities I've gotten. I think so much about routine and how it impacts my own mental health and know that routine is such a big part of childhood. So that must have been. A shock to your system in so many ways and ways that I can't comprehend myself as well. And I'm also, you know, making friends is such an integral part to our childhood. And I am wondering if music, you say you missed out on the Spice Girls, but I know there are so many um, fans from the kind of early noughties that heavily influenced you. Was being a kind of music fan helpful in making friends at that time? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think it really, I felt so different. There was... No one who
1: looked like me at the British schools. Um, But as soon as I started singing, people were curious and people actually kind of cared about me. And then when I started singing the stuff that everyone else was singing and I would form little bands. And so I would do like an S Club 7 tribute thing um, or like a Kylie Minogue tribute thing or like a Holly Valance tribute thing. And I would just like, just that would be the time to kind of... I, I was like boss basically. So I would be the boss in that situation when I felt quite like powerless and I you know and a lot of out of control things in my personal life with my parents and stuff and my mom and dad not really speaking that good English as well so that was like my stage was like that tiny little stage in the assembly hall in my tiny little school but yeah I felt it gave me definitely a lot of
0: power and also like a language to you know talk to people did you how did fashion fit in, into all of this because obviously I know you now as someone who's really stylish and really cares about fashion and you use it in such a brilliant way to kind of um add another layer to your art and your music and what you do but what what are your kind of memories of fashion at that time because there was quite a specific look around that time period and there were also very specific stores that I feel, feel we used to go to yes Tammy Tammy, I was <laughs> hoping you'd say Tammy. Tammy, <laughs> Tammy. oh my gosh. Tammy was
1: like, and I don't like using this well, but it was like quite slutty for the for what it was. Cause it was like geared towards like 10 to 15 year olds, but it, it had like, it was pretty provocative. I don't know. Like I remember having like the tiny, like the rise on my jeans were so low. It was like the lowest of the low, lowest rise cuts. And I was like, I can't believe I was walking around in that. Because obviously it was like Christina and like Xtina so all the jeans were super low-cut and Brittany after Slave for You is like really low-cut um and so yeah I look at my some of the photos from back then and I'm just like oh my god I can't believe my mum was like okay cool
0: you can go out like this I looked I just looked really ridiculous I had a purple sparkly catsuit with like firework diamantes all over it from Tammy and a pair of sparkly shimmery gold and um, dark denim jeans, also very low on the crotch region. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Iconic. I mean, you know, where is that now? I mean, I kind of feel like it went from Tammy to Miss Selfridge, then Topshop, but I was If Tammy came back now, I think it would do really well because that sort of fashion is always coming and going. The 90s tank tops and low-cut jeans and I think anything goes at the moment in terms of fashion. So I think they would do well. But, like, yeah, Tammy was,
0: like, the one. This time felt like it was quite a kind of um, tumultuous time for you, both as a teenager um, and also with your parents. So... um, Tell us about this time for you and and, and kind of your relationship with music um, and how perhaps it gave you some escapism at that time as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, thank God I grew up in London. It's such a musical city. And at the time, not so much now, but there were so many small venues. You know, I grew up around Camden, so there was a lot of small venues I always went to. But um, I just fell in love with bands. And at the time, indie music was really big, so there was a lot of bands um, doing gigs every single night of the week and i i went wild i was a horrible child for a good few years and i think i was just trying to find my world and my boundaries and my identity and it was also confusing in my head and um coming from a eastern country to a western country where like the values are so different and but obviously not having the language inside my head to even comprehend that you know i think that Time where I was a horrible teen, it was very essential, and it really helped me find my my voice and my you know my preferences, what I like, and um, I feel like I lived what most people live between like the age of 16 to like 20 when I was like 13 to 16 um which is good because then I got my shit together when I started doing my A-levels but
0: my like grades before then were a bit like sketchy because I was going out all the time but when you say you got your stuff together you really really did because you ended up going to Cambridge University so I'd love to hear about your time at Cambridge and whether or not you found it quite jarring when you first arrived (laughs) It was a whole new
1: world. Growing up in London, it's super diverse. Especially the the school I went to was a C of E school, but it, you know, it was like a state C of E. So it was really like a good state school. Um, but I completely took the diversity for granted, I think. I just didn't feel um like an outsider or anything like that in my school. And I never even thought about stuff. I didn't because it was multi-faith school, even though it was C of E, so we were really encouraged to like you know, have everyone from different backgrounds and ethnicities and religious backgrounds to, um, you know, celebrate their culture. I, I don't know. I never thought about wealth. I never thought about um, religion. I never thought about, you know, different kinds of expressions or um, wh- why people's parents didn't speak English because my mum didn't really speak English. So it wasn't a weird thing for me, but oh my God, when I went to Cambridge, it was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, I was shown... A very unique open day, I think, because obviously, as part of their, um, I guess, affirmative action. I really don't like that phrase, but I guess part of their sort of, you know, scheme to try and get more diversity in their student body, they have different open days for different schools or different. And I am, um, you know, I went to the general open day as well, but I went to a, a kind of ethnic minority open day, <laughs> which I think I don't want to discourage it because I think it's really important, and you know, to be able to see the few but very important you know um sort of people who are there who might look like you who look like your friends and it really encouraged me to go but i think i was really i've never encountered the british establishment and that was it and i was studying politics so it was just full of establishment people i mean it's not as establishmenty as PPE which is at oxford which is like politics philosophy and economics but mine was politics psychology and sociology so it was a bit more left sort of liberal leaning um but it was a big shock I think it was the British establishment and sort of um wariness of outsiders I think and I didn't realize that people were so like groomed to go to Cambridge since they were really young um I it for me was a spur of the moment thing and I'm really lucky that I got in I was just very very passionate about my subjects and I read like so many books about it so don't get me wrong but it it was it i never really thought about it when i was younger so um imagine putting
0: that many competitive people in a university and see what happens basically were there any moments where you were like screw this i i'm done i i I need to walk away this is too much
1: oh yeah i was i was very close to dropping out i had talked to my mom about dropping out and she was like absolutely fucking not! you're not dropping out (laughs) Classic Asian mom. She's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, but my mental health, no, 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 no. Basically, when I was um my second year, uh it was just the most mean girls thing I've ever seen, but something happened and it led to me being shunned from who shunned from a friendship group that I would then eventually have to Um, live in a house with because we you decide dorms like in the middle of the year before so we'd already decided we're going to live together it just got really bad um in terms of like very passive bullying um stuff like not inviting me to stuff or like there'll be house parties going on in the same house but I wouldn't be told about it and you know just little things like that um and then it kind of culminated in this one night where I I was woken up by voices in the kitchen next to me and they were bitching about me for 30 minutes straight basically that incident plus a lot of other things that I probably hadn't dealt with at that point like just led me down a horrible depressive and like suicidal depressive um and I just didn't go to my lectures I couldn't leave my room for I think a month maybe I didn't leave my room people had to come and rescue me basically my mom had to come up and give me food and like my best friend from school had to come up and give me food and it was like it was really, really bad. My mental health was so bad. And um, yeah, I was so close to dropping out, but I just thought, can I do another year of this? And I was like, no, I don't want to redo this year. God.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm so sorry to hear that that happened to you. What helped what made you stick it out I did CBT therapy I'd
1: done therapy before for like different stuff but this was the first time I'd done CBT so that was really good and I like that's why I'm such a strong advocate for therapy because I just think it gives you skills to deal with other stuff that comes up and so yeah so it was it was therapy it's also um I started hanging out with different group of friends and they were queer and they all had very similar stories of being sort of ousted from their friendship groups and we all shared something and I would i i would you know say if anyone's going through anything similar to seek professional help and if it's if you've got if you're struggling with your mental health at university i would reach out to the university for help i would say honestly it was one of the most valuable experiences i've ever had um and also that was 10 years ago I hate to admit but it was and i think there's much better pastoral care now and i i don't want to discourage people from aiming high yeah just because of my my experience and Um, aiming high means uh, aiming high means that you see a lot of what hasn't been shown to you before and i think that's a really important learning curve as well so
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You bring just really refreshing ideas to a debut LP. We don't hear kind of the heteronormative love songs that we come to associate with pop music. You're singing about friendship. You're singing about your chosen family, which I just absolutely love. Do these ideas come from a place of this is all I want to write about and sing about? Or is it coming from a place of, this is really lacking in the music industry right now. I need to bring this.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think I, yeah, I always wonder if there was intentionality behind the record. Um, But I think I was just going through a really hard time and I was going, I I, I restarted therapy. There was a lot of changes going on in my life. My mum and my relationship was terrible. We didn't speak for like close to a year. It almost feels like I didn't have a choice and it almost feels like it was all leading up to that record because it's like you know I've done my reading I've done my therapy and my internal soul searching and I've done so much so much crying and tears and none of it has had to do anything with any of my relationships that I've had romantic relationships it's all about oh I think I've been a bad friend to someone and that was you know that just turned into a song um you know stuff to do with my family that's been years in the unpacking process um and also just you know being part of the community but also being saved by the queer community in uni and it just all comes from a place of this is what I want to hear so I'm going to write it I guess I've used all my life experiences the bad ones and the good ones to make the record and um Yeah I guess people liked it because I think I was getting quite bored of music that just talked about the same thing and um, uh, it's actually quite scary for a lot of artists to be politically vocal or vocal about any sort of cause within their music because it makes it into a specific genre of music and it kind of makes it less attractive to the mainstream audience but I kind of it's my first record so I just said you know fuck it why not.
0: I'd love to talk about your song Excess which I am obsessed with. It mocks capitalism and overconsumption and then in Fuck This World you deal with your grief about climate breakdown and I know this is something that you feel quite strongly and quite passionately about. Where are you at with your kind of climate grief and how you're kind of processing a lot of the big stuff that is has been happening and is going to continue to happen and how are you involving that in your art and like you did in your album
1: well it's so hard I mean first of all music and entertainment is probably one of the most wasteful industries that you can have imagine you're doing a tour you re- you have a rider um, which is um, your sort of food and drinks requests in backstage and every single venue you go to the same rider's is given to you so you literally have tons of food and tons of drink that you don't drink or eat and it's left there and the wastage is horrible so you know I started obviously um I got yeah I got really I hate saying into climate change that's such a weird thing to say but you know I I became very concerned with it in 2018 I think um obviously around about when Greta was um doing her thing and I was just like, this is so horrible. The young people have to deal with like the stuff that they never um, dealt with. And I was just like, animal extin- extinction. And um, I was vegan for a while and I just became very um, conscious of what the consequences of everyday purchasing were. And so, yeah, I went through huge climate grief because, yeah, my industry is very, very wasteful, and there's a lot of international travel. Um, you're, you know, you've, you're hiring load of trucks to, you know, haul loads of different equipment everywhere. Um, you even fashion is unsustainable, and you're in, you're within that advertisement of the fashion, and then, like that's kind of how I make money. And so it's hard to be like, no, you know. And that's at the beginning anyway. That's literally. All I made money on was commercial contracts with brands. I said, you know, I used to be vegan, but now I just eat meat maybe once every two weeks. And I look forward to that day so much because I'm like, it's such a treat. And I go for higher welfare because I'm just not spending, you know, that much money on meat. I recently read this book called Power of Now and um, I love, yes, Eckhart Tolle and I found it really interesting, the idea of bringing awareness to everyday activities. Um, And I think that's kind of where we need to start off. I know it's a corporations and stuff, um, but I do think corporations are also made up of people. And if every single person was acting more mindfully and um, really thinking, do I need this? Do I actually need this? Do I have something that's similar already? Um, even thinking about you know how much food we consume and food we buy and thinking do I need this is gonna is this gonna go off before I actually cook with it and just I think awareness can bring a lot of good things in in general so um, it also makes you more in touch with like the really boring, mundane stuff, like a sunrise or like, you know, opening a window or something. Also talking to my team about how important it is that we are sustainable. Like my label is like very sustainable as well. Um, you know, we try as much as we can to use stuff that's recycled or, you know, phone cases that are compostable or t-shirts that are made from organic cotton. There were some people who were saying that my merch is too expensive, but that was intentional because I sourced a better cotton and a better fabric that meant that I could charge more and if I just if I'd have got a worse fabric and sold it for half if I, it, it basically means I only need to sell one um, instead of selling two t-shirts for the same profit you know behind the scenes that's something I think of as a as a business I guess I mean you know I don't people don't want to talk about themselves as a business but um you know behind me there is a business so um yeah I feel a lot of kind of, kind of small business um, responsibility to do th- stuff to start things right and to put a bit more sense into things It doesn't you know
0: it's just a bit of common sense and I love that I think you've found I mean what you've talked about is a real balance between kind of individual action and th- but things that actually really add up to a lot like you've met you make some individual changes but they're also bigger changes for you and your business mm-hmm. um but then I also really love how you use your music to make people question things like overconsumption and capitalism. And I, I think that's amazing. Like, I, I just think you should be applauded for all of those things, so. Oh, thanks. I mean, I could, I mean, they can always do more, you know, and, but I am, I am
1: very aware that, you know, I think I am, you know, cutting off a certain, like, type of audience um, by making my merch a certain price. Um, And, you know, it goes back to the whole sort of eco being a privilege and whether, I mean, you know, how it's marketed as being privileged or whatever, Um, just the education. And that is a privileged education to understand about like eco and, you know, stuff that really matters Um, or even have the time to think about that, you know, during the day. But I do think like it's really um important not to shame people into doing anything and like for, especially with stuff like vegan i really respect the vegan movement and i think it's really important that we all eat less meat um but at the same time like it can be quite strict so i do think that lots of people might have like you know some histories that might not you know enable them to have a vegan diet or it might be too um sort of i don't want to say restrictive it's quite regimented i think at the beginning when you switch to being vegan um, to, that might trigger some sort of you know past um, disordered eating so I just think always be mindful people have their circumstances and just you know talk talk about things rather than yell at each other to tell people to stop doing stuff Yell yeah, like at
0: corporations but absolutely I'm actually going to send you a podcast after this um, Oh, please do an too with Brené Brown talking about how shame actually isn't the answer to a lot of these problems that we're facing I'll send it to you I think you'll really like enjoy it I love that stuff I would like to talk about racism in the music industry, your song, STFU, and how you kind of came to write it, because I know that that it's a kind of culmination of some things that happened to you. And can you also tell us about how the label that you were talking to at the time who were going to sign you reacted to it?
1: Yeah, so STFU, I always knew when I wrote it that that was going to be the lead single, of the album because I'd done a string of singles and they were more pop leaning, but this is this is basically like Evanescence and Limp Bizkit, um, but it's talking about <laughs> racial microaggressions. And in the music video, I got this amazing actor to be my date. And um, I've met many of these kinds of people who uh, uh, just are so excited that I am Asian and that I'm like the, you know, especially Japanese, I would say that they have a lot of misconceptions about Japanese women or Japanese culture. And they just want to talk about it with me. And I would say that nothing, none of it is bad intentions. None of it is to harm me. So I'm very lucky in that sense, but it is so ignorant sometimes. And so I did um, an extended music video where there was, you know, like a date scene at the beginning. Well, when, when I'd written that song, I knew it was very powerful. Um, And I was taking around different labels and um, there was a label that I, we were actually in the, final negotiations of the contract at that point which meant that we were dealing with music video budgets and how much you know those little costs that need to be discussed um at that point my lawyer had been engaged for a couple months to work on this contract and so um yeah so you know it was like all getting very legit and I showed the rep of the label um STFU and then a couple of other songs from the record that I was really passionate about and he flat out said to my manager, I don't like these songs. And then sent an email, like pretty much a couple of hours later being saying that we're, this is we're going to terminate contract proceedings, which is all good. That's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm used to rejection, but the fact that it cost me several grand in unpaid um, legal fees was not cool. And I think they knew I was independent. And the fact that I had to shoulder that cost was bad like I don't know I I mean it's just bad I don't know what what else to say about it it was just annoying and um I know that might have been a risk I take but it's when you sign an artist you sign an artist and um luckily I'm with the label now that the first time they heard STFU you know the uh the founder Jamie Oborn he just laughed his head off and he said he loves it and I'm really grateful that they saw my vision um but
0: yeah, there's a lot of, lot of fuckery in the music industry. <laughs> well, what a blessing in disguise that that happened. And I'm, I'm so sorry that it did, but clearly it worked out the right way. And I bet that agent... Or whatever that person is regrets it that decision no end I hope what's so happened to you 100% babe there's no way otherwise you know
1: what like there's no hard feelings like like if that was the I always think if that legal cost was the cost for me finding this label then that's okay like and I, I only send him this guy you know just love and I hope that he's not doing it to another artist but I only send him love and I'm great I'm so grateful for where I am now
0: can we talk about more fuckery in the music industry? Uh, After this year's Mercury Prize nominations were announced, you gave an interview with Vice about how your album wasn't eligible because you don't hold a UK passport despite having grown up here and having indefinite leave to remain. The same applies to the Brit Awards Mm -hmm. and obviously this issue is only going to affect more artists as some European countries don't allow people to hold two passports outside of the EU. So I can imagine this felt extremely frustrating and othering. How are you feeling about it all now? Because this is important stuff for your career and yes it's also not fair it's not fair and it makes no sense (laughs) um look I
1: I don't think that they did it with ill intent um I think it was a serious oversight and um I think there was an oversight in the sense that we um had communication before the mercuries were announced with the mercuries but they um didn't want to change and I guess they didn't think it would blow up this way I didn't think it would either it was literally like it was crazy when the when the vice article came out and um so many uh news outlets and tv stations wanted to you know say stuff with me but that wasn't the point for me I just wanted to tell my story and I just wanted an email or a phone call with the Mercuries. it's sad because I mean first of all I'm a politics student who has never voted because I can't vote in this country unless I have a citizenship and um, that's another thing I've had to like lay to rest or just be at peace with um, and that's fine because having a, a Japanese passport is really important to me and I I know that there's been campaigns in Japan to challenge the Japanese government to um, allow dual passports, but it does it, it's always been struck down. Growing up in this country, especially in London, I know that the music industry especially thrives on diversity um, and diversity is very important to the music industry um, and especially the Brits and the BPIs came under fire for Brits So White like a couple of years ago. Um, And I just think it's a very unique type of visa. And people don't know that indefinite leave to remain even exists as a visa type. It actually affects a lot of Asian countries as well, because um, most of the Asian, most countries that don't allow dual citizenship are Asian at this point. But you're saying um, there might be more, there are little things like I feel like I have entrenched myself in the establishment in terms of going to Cambridge and I've been a good immigrant, you know, um, I've made something out of myself. I've paid taxes and all this, you know, good stuff. Um, Yet yeah, to not be um, awarded for a music award, I kind of more understand the not voting thing because I think, okay, fine. That, that maybe there's some more legal red tape around that. But music award and just like subjective, um, you know, awarding of works. That people think are good or bad. I didn't think that that should be um, have any regulation. To give a context, Ivor Novello's um, do not have a nationality clause. Uh, what's it called? Turner Prize don't have na- nationality clause, or they have one that says that if you're, you know, if you've lived in this country for five years or ten years or whatever, that's like that's that's okay. You can apply. So um, all I was asking for them was just maybe do that, consider a slightly relaxed law, because a lot of people can't get citizenship for different reasons.
0: I was giving it quite a lot of thought when I was, um, well, obviously when it happened, but also again recently ahead of this interview. And it just feels like they could do something about it if they wanted to. And then I started kind of worrying that this is a demonstration of how the music industry is gatekeeping and being quite elitist yet again. Has there been any progress? Are you feeling positive about what the future might hold? Yeah, so um, after that, a couple months after that, I was able to speak to the chairman of the
1: BPI, um, Jed, and he. we had a great chat. And um, he said there are processes. So every year there's like different um, elected bodies and uh, you have to, I mean, there's just a process for changing regulations. So no promises, he says, but... Um, I'm hopeful. All I want and all that should
0: be required for things like this is just a conversation. I can't imagine how the past year has felt for you bringing out this album that you literally made to perform live and you've had to push your tour back how has it been firstly not being able to perform it and just sitting at home and watching the reaction to it and how it did so brilliantly but also not being able to perform it and how are you feeling about finally being able to get back on that stage in front of your fans to perform this music that was meant to be performed live oh, god damn it i know um what concerns me is just i really want the government to support
1: the live industry more i mean you think about the cultural relevance and significance of britain is so much of it's so much my music you know I just really worry especially with Brexit and nothing being secured about you um European visas and stuff like that like there's so much uncertainty there's nothing that's been confirmed about whether people will need to pay for visas and whether people you know free travel and movement around EU to do tours um I really hope that we can get back on our feet soon um, I really think I'm very lucky in this because, as an artist, there's like different income streams. But with live music, you know, for tour managers, like anything that has a, the word tour or live or anything like that, they, you know, that's their
0: in, source of income. So, well, I mean, I'm a bit of a granny. My one of my one of my many nicknames is Granny Van. However, I have never craved live music I can't gigs. Tell me about it concerts sweaty nightclubs with sticky floors and BO everywhere more in my life I cannot wait I'm not going to turn down a party invitation ever again anymore same you know what I am unless it's for work I don't really leave the house so (laughs)
1: like I it has to take a lot of convincing for me to go on a night out but I will be going on a night out like as soon as possible and Yeah I just we all all of us all artists want to put on a show so bad and relieve you know I mean there's nothing like those two hours at a show where you just completely forget about your your life really and you're just in the moment and you're enjoying things and yeah I can't wait to get back to that really but I just more importantly people need to stay safe and stop doing stupid things and it's like the world doesn't have to spin that quickly.
0: Thank you for sharing that. How would you feel about a quick fire round? Sure let's go. Quick fire with Rena. Tea or coffee? Tea. Books or podcasts? Books. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> i want <on> a podcast. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? Ooh crepes. Film or TV? film britney or christina both hearsay or s club Seven? Oh my god again that is so hard
1: um oh wow um okay there's nothing like hearsay that made me feel like i can be a pop star too so maybe hearsay there was there were proper ordinary people weren't they
0: they were so ordinary or so right. ordinary yeah <laughs> blue crush or bring it on Ooh, bring it on Designer or vintage? Oh, designer vintage. Love that. Good answer. <laughs> Loungewear or stage outfits? Loungewear. 100%. I
1: hate. Stage outfits are so uncomfortable and they like chafe. WKD or Smyrnoff Ice? <gasps> I think I was a off Ice kind of girl. God, In- I would neck them.
0: Sorry. Or <laughs> well, just, just like drink, sipping on a nice lemonade or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Intimate gig or stadium tour? Stadium. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Routine or spontaneity? I'm not a spontaneous person
1: whatsoever. Me and you babes, we're grannies. I like a routine. (laughs) Early night or night
0: owl? Early night. That was quick fire with Rina. I love it. I just love how you're like this mega mega star and then you're just like early night routine. I just love it.
1: I just, you know, like I'm lazy in like a positive I think it's a positive thing for me because it means that when I work hard I really work hard when I like don't work hard I don't work at all and um, my goal in life is to not work so (laughs) I don't know I'm sure you're familiar with this like the fire the retire early movement and I'm just like oh my god imagine retiring when you're 40.
0: Are there any books films tv shows or podcasts that you'd like to recommend that have kind of lifted your spirits and your soul?
1: I mean, I would recommend Power of Now. I really would. And it's like Oprah's favorite book. Um, so, you know, well, you we can't go wrong. Um, but it's basically a book, very short book, actually, about just um, mindfulness and being in the moment. And I think that's really important, especially when we're not able to predict the future. And that can cause a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, including myself. And I've found that it's caused a huge perspective shift
0: in me. The techniques in that book, you don't need any money to do. So... Great recommendation. What is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit? Uh I'm trying to make an exercise, but I'm very lucky and
1: I'm very privileged because I have an exercise bike. But I would recommend yoga with Adrian. She's like <gasps> Isn't she amazing? She's so lovely. She's so lovely. So lovely. (laughs) Like her and her dog Benji is like the most soothing, calming thing ever. So she is a yoga teacher who has all her videos online on YouTube for free.
0: Is there one small thing that you'd like our listeners to try out? I would say do activities without your phone. Mm, Great one. So simple and
1: stupid, but we all are guilty of it. And actually the one thing that's helped me is... Getting an alarm clock has helped a lot because I does, then my phone's not the first thing I look at. And I think setting boundaries with your phone will enable you to set boundaries with yourself and also with other people. So I think that's a really good start.
0: Oh, I love that. Love good boundary setting. And finally, what is one small thing you hope your future self will have achieved? I would like my future self to
1: have peace between my outer self and my inner self. Because I think as women especially we and I, I mean i saw this with my mom really and just the trend in general really with women is to start punishing our looks and our bodies and everything as we get older every day is a gift and i hope that i am happy even if my beauty is inverted bracket fading
0: since recording this interview with Rena, I am so proud to say that she has literally changed the game. She has changed the eligibility rules around the Brit Award and Mercury Prize nominations successfully. And I'm just super proud of her. How awesome is that? Thank you so much for listening to this episode and make sure you hit the show notes for links to Rena and her recommendations. Before we go, I wanted to share my small thing of the week with you. I'm finding that my mind is most active and prone to anxious thoughts when I first wake up. So I found a good way around this is to keep a notepad and pen by my bed so I can reach over and write out some gratitude as soon as I wake up. This has proved really helpful in focusing my mind on the small things that matter instead of letting it spiral and worry about the things I just can't control. Sounds a bit twee, but it really does help. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a five star review, and you can always share the episode with a friend directly or via your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia Manor, and at ATST Podcast. See you next week for a brand new episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.